But we're going to be reading Joel, y'all. And this is this is what we do every morning. We read through scripture. We've been reading from Genesis. Now we're in the book of Joel, guys. We're going to be done with the entire Old Testament. Y'all, we did this, okay? We read through the entire Old Testament together, and we spent time to reflect together. This is the read and rant. What we do is, is we commit time to the reading of the word, and then subsequent to that, we spend time in just reflecting on the word. I've got nothing prepared. I don't have a sermon. This is not Bible study. And unfortunately, we're not going to have Bible study today. We will have Bible study next week. But <clears throat> this isn't Bible study, okay? This is just a time where we want to meditate and reflect on the text. And what I do is I want to encourage you as you spend time in the reading of the word that you would prayerfully ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question I want you to ask. The second question that I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? I love that I've got a community here. I got a whole bunch of y'all on Discord. Thank you for coming through. By the way, I want to encourage you guys, join our Discord community. That's where we, we're community there. We've got people who encourage each other, pray for each other, motivate each other, discuss the Bible studies with each other. Uh, we've got multiple groups now that we're forming in that. And it's, it's just amazing to see how we've become a community there, to see how we're growing in faith and in the knowledge of God and his word. And so I'm going to encourage you guys to do that. Um, but because I'm not afforded a lot of time today, I'm going to get right to it, y'all. We're going to pray. And I want you to ask those questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? Uh, that's what I would like for us to commit to. And, <clears throat> and so I want you to pray with me as I pray, and we're going to get right to it. I'm going to get uh, YouTube going here, and then we'll be ready to go. All right. Um, so, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for the privilege that you've given us, Father. I thank you that you've allowed us the opportunity to come and to read your word together. So, Father, I pray that you would bless this time. Bless each and every one of us as we spend time in this word. Father, let this word be an encouragement to us. Reveal your heart to us. Reveal your mind. Reveal your will to us as we navigate through your text, Father. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Let's get to it, y'all. It says this in Joel chapter one, the word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it, that your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust had eaten, has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a generation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and his and he has fangs of fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Lament, lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth. And for the husband of your youth, the grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns. The grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because of the harvest, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine has dried up, and the fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourself and lament, you priests. Wail, you minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth who minister to my God for grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Hmm. 
Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the claws. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down for the grain has withered. How the animals groan. The herd of the cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of the sheep suffer punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out. For fire has devoured the open pastures and flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you for the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the open pastures. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains and people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them for even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing can sh- shall escape from them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots, over the mountain tops they leap. Like the noise of flaming fire, they devour the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array, before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men, they climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They entered at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Hmm. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. He knows, if you will, turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing babies, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. That the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army, and I will drive him away into the barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid of the beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Hmm. Be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with the new wine and oil. 
So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. The crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, the chewing locusts, my great army which I sent among you, shall eat the plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and on, and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. There's so much here to unpack, y'all. Chapter three. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations. I'll bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I'll enter into judgment with them there on my on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom have scattered among the nations. They have divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people. Sorry. Yeah. They have cast lots for my people. They have given a boy as a payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Indeed, what have you to do with me? O Tyre and Sidon and all the coast of Philistia, will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. All the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, have you have sold to the Greeks. You have removed them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place of which you have sold them, and I will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will send your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and I will sell them to the Sabians, to a people far off. For the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come all you nations and gather together all around because you're mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion, the utter voice from his, sorry, from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy. No aliens shall ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. The fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. Egypt shall be a desolation, Edom a desolate wilderness because of the violence against the people of Judah. 
for they have shed innocent blood in their land, but Judah shall abide forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted. For the Lord dwells in Zion. For the Lord dwells in Zion. There is just powerful, powerful imagery in this text. If you're just jumping on right now, some of you may be catching this in the Read and Rant podcast, which is going to, this episode is going to come out a few weeks from now. Some of you may catch this maybe later today on Patreon for my patrons who are here. Some of you may catch this, um, this reading since I make it available to all my patrons on Patreon, by the way, subscribe to Patreon, patreon.com slash Isaac Frere. Um, some of you, uh, are listening in from discord. There are those of you listening on TikTok right now. There are those of you listening on IG. There are those of you who are tuned in on YouTube and you're paying attention to this. And I want you to know this first, before I even get into that, guys, I want to say another congratulations. I always congratulate y'all when we get to when we get through a book it happens to be that this is just one reading and in one reading, we're able to get through one book. You're going to be familiar with this in the next couple of days. Um, as we continue to read, you're going to realize we're just going to, we're, we're basically done with the old Testament. If you've been journeying with us guys, we're done. Like we're, we're here. We've gotten to the end, close to the end of the old Testament. It's important for me to point out here that as you've been reading, what you'll notice is that the, the scripture is not chronological, right? Um, uh, this isn't, you know, ordered in a, a chronological way. For example, if you read Genesis, you'll see that there is chronology there, right? From Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers to Deuteronomy, right? This is a story of a family that became a nation, the family, Abraham's family, that then became a nation, the nation of Israel, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and then Israel. And then you see that there's still some chronological uh, continuity, right? Because we go from um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then we go to Joshua. And so in Joshua, right, we see that the people have re- are returning back to their land. And so Joshua then subdues the land, right? Joshua, then in Judges, the land has been subdued, but then the land falls into moral, utter moral depravity. The book of Judges is about how these people who, are, who have the promise of God, did not live up to the promise and the covenant that was given. Remember this covenant and this promise. Remember I told you that there's the covenant that we have that sorry, that the children of Israel had with God. And there was the promise that came. Israel broke their covenant with God in the way that they lived. They broke their covenant with God in their compromise to live out and to be influenced by the neighboring nations, Philistia, right? Um, Edom, Moab, all these other nations, we see them, they influence them. And so in Judges, we see the nation of Israel begin strong, but eventually fall into utter moral, sociological, and cultural depravity. Okay. And then in the end of Judges, we see it, it says that there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Again, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And we see that at the end of Judges. So now you've got Joshua, you have judges, and then Ruth kind of layers on top because behind the scenes of what's happening in judges, Ruth is happening, meaning God is actually preparing for messianic king, one who would save Israel. And of course, it's, it's Ruth. Then we see the continuity of the lineage of kings that would be covenantal kings, kings of the promise. And of course, Saul was chosen, but Saul wasn't the one. Saul was the people's choice, but David was God's choice. And so the story of Ruth is how now there was a new lineage being established through, which would begin and be instigated through the lineage of David. David becomes king after Saul, but David falls short. Then after David falls short, the nation of Israel splits. You've got Israel in the north. You've got Judah in the south. The capital of Israel Israel is Samaria. The capital of Judah is Jerusalem in the south. And so then we get into first. After first and second Samuel, where we see from Saul, the transition from Saul to David, 
Then we begin to see first Kings, second Kings, first Chronicles, second Chronicles. Again, some overlap there, but it's about the lineage of Kings. It's about the lineage of Kings. And what you should see is that these Kings weren't the Messianic Kings. These were men who were still flawed. These were men who, these weren't the Kings that were examples. These weren't the guys that you would say, we're going to follow those examples, even starting from Solomon, even though we make Solomon a hero. Um, Solomon was wise. Solomon had much to teach. He had great wisdom and insight, but Solomon wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the one who would redeem Israel. No matter how wise he was, no matter how gifted he was, he wasn't He wasn't Israel's answer. And of course, con- we see the continuity of this all through um, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And then we get to Ezra and Nehemiah, right? By the end of First and Second Chronicles, the kingdom of Israel has completely fallen apart. Completely, okay, completely falling apart. And so now we see that Israel not only had allowed the influence, okay, Israel didn't just allow the influence of these neighboring Canaanite nations, the North African nations, the West Asian nations, these nations that came in. Not only did Israel allow them to culturally influence them, but Israel gave them presence and place and authority allowing them to enter in and to infiltrate them. And in consequence, they eventually overtook them. The Northern army, um, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, the Babylonians came in and overtook and overtook Israel. It's important that I establish this because now you see that Israel, the nation that was given this land to establish this kingdom that would mediate the presence of God, bring bring justice and righteousness to the earth, now has completely fallen apart. Israel has been split up. The kingdoms took over Israel, brought children of Israel into captivity. I want, you, I want to make sure y'all catching where I'm at here. The gifted, the talented were all brought into captivity, pulled away. Some nations took some in some direction. Some nations took some. And Israel eventually was scattered all about the world. Israel didn't have a land anymore. So imagine now the promise of God and Israel holding on to the promise of God. And now because of their compromise, because of their idolatry, because of their sin, we see that Israel has been scattered about. We saw the nature of their idolatry. We saw that they would serve these gods. And when we talk about the worship of these gods, we're talking about some, 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 some decrepit evil things that would transpire. And they were doing those things even in the holy places, in the holy temple where God said to set aside. And so now we see these people practicing and worshiping these idols in the actual temple where they, were, where they ought to worship God. The priests were participating in this. The leaders were participating in this. And so now God obviously had to now reestablish his justice. This is so important, y'all, because what we see now is this takes us to now Ezra, because now Israel has been overtaken. Babylon has taken Chaldea, Assyria, Ethiopia, all have overtaken Israel in some form or another, and they're fighting over this land. Israel has been scattered. The children of Israel, the people of Israel are all around the world. And so now when you look at that, a scattered people, it's easy for you to look at these people as a consequence to Israel's sin and to say, there's no hope for Israel. It's easy for you to look at that and say, well, I guess. I guess it's all done for Israel. I want you to pay attention to something, family. And this is important because if there's one thing you can learn about the heart, the wisdom, and the knowledge of God, is God's promises never return void. God's promise over your life is not conditional upon your choice. God chose you. <laughs> you know, we talk about the redeemed of the Lord. Those who have been redeemed by God, chosen by God. If you've been redeemed by God and chosen by God, if you've been purchased by God, God's got his name on you. 
understand that you may have a season where it doesn't look good, but God is still at work to bring restoration. He's got his name on these children. He's got his name on these people. He's got a promise on these people. God will put his promise and his word above himself. This is so important, family, because what we see now is as we get to we get to the end of first and second chronicles, and you would say that it's done for Israel. But even though these people now have been pulled away from their nation, pulled away from Jerusalem, pulled away from Samaria, pulled away, and yet even then, God is still at work to bring restoration to them. I read this and I find confidence because we know the story. We know that from first and second Chronicles, we get to Ezra and Nehemiah. And what is God doing? God is bringing all the captives back to the land to rebuild Jerusalem. Ezra and Nehemiah, which is really one book, Ezra and Nehemiah, which is one book, two parts of one book really, is bringing the people back to the land. Why am I bringing this up? Why is it so important? Notice now, we're beginning to see the full breadth of the story. I hope you guys are seeing the big picture here, that at the center of this, we're seeing the experiences that a people chosen by God are having with God. We're seeing the experiences that a people who have the promise of God over their life and how God restores them even when they don't live up to the covenant. Ezra and Nehemiah is where many believe the book of Joel is written. So Joel is written during the period of Ezra and Nehemiah. When we, after Ezra and Nehemiah, now you lose the chronology of the Bible, right? Because now we're going back and we're rewinding. When we read Daniel, we're rewinding. When we read Ezekiel, we're rewinding. We're just rewinding it from the perspective of a prophet in exile. When we read Ezra, we're reading about a prophet in exile who's speaking concerning what God has to say. When we read Daniel, we're seeing a prophet in exile. When we, so when we read these texts, we see these prophets in exile. Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible, victorious. So Job is not even part of the continuity that we're speaking about here. Joel actually is older than Genesis. <laughs> but all of that to say, um, it's interesting why Job is actually where it is in the Bible, but that's another conversation for another day. I want to make sure you guys understand this because as we've been reading, there was a word that stuck out to us when we read through Ezekiel. The word that stuck out to us in Ezekiel was the word remnant. Y'all remember that? Those who were pulled out of Israel as a result of Israel's sin. That word remnant. Those who've been scattered. Who've been cast abroad. Those who've been pulled out of the land of Israel and now live in a foreign land. Those who've been drawn out of Israel and now live in a foreign land. Why do Americans disagree with how Israel interprets the Old Testament? How can Israel be wrong? Israel's not wrong about the Old Testament. Okay? Israel's wrong about the New Testament. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the, the issue is not with the Old Testament. The issue is with the fulfillment of the promise. So that's thanks for asking that, by the way. Uh, good question there. Um, back to what I'm saying, because I only have a few minutes, so I got to get back to it. Um, I'm, I'm so tempted to, to, to like go and answer questions today. I don't know why, but I, I don't I, I, I'm not afforded that. I should leave time. I should set time aside to do that. Right. Um, to actually sit down and actually break down those, those some of those questions that you guys have. Um, I do want to actually talk to y'all. Seriously, I do. Um, but I, I, to go back to what I was saying, and this is this is important because I want you to see this now, is you've got a people who've been scattered. 
Now notice who's actually getting the revelation. Notice for a moment who's actually hearing from God. Notice in the prophets, because we're now in the era of the prophets, we're reading we're reading everything that we read before now from the perspective of the prophet. We read everything up to Ezra and Nehemiah from a historical historian's perspective. And now we're reading the same story again from the perspective of the exile. There's the person who is in, and then there's the person who's out. Ezekiel was out, y'all. Daniel was out, hoping to get back in. Hosea was out. Jeremiah, out. These men were in exile. Jeremiah spent most of the larger part of his ministry in Egypt. Out. Why am I bringing that up? Why is that so important? Pastor, why are you bringing this up? Because if you look at the text and you read the story, we read what's transpiring inside of Israel. The worship that's happening in the temples, the evil that is happening, the injustice that is happening to widows, the the very law that was written to protect and to establish justice and to establish renewal and to establish flourishing among the people have been has been disobeyed, and yet they still worshipped God. Isn't it funny how we can pick and choose laws, which is what Israel did? Israel was faithful to some laws and yet not faithful to others. If we read through the law, we see that Israel, that Israel was faithful to the sacrificial law. Israel was faithful to the sacrifice. We got to make sure we show up to the temple and perform our sacrifices. They were faithful to that. But the law outside the temple, they weren't faithful to. Oh, Israel was faithful to show up. But on the outside, what they did outside wasn't, wasn't at all followed. Which leads me to my first point, family. I know what your worship looks like, not based off of what you do when you show up to church on Sunday. It, your worship is not determined by, you know, how many songs you sing and how worshipful you are in your singing of those songs. See, that's the problem. We've equated worship by what we do when we go to the temple. When I know what your worship really looks like, it's based off of how you live when you leave your church. It's how you live and navigate through life at your home. It's how you live and navigate through life at your job. It's how you live and navigate through life with those who aren't even believers. The problem is that a lot of us, we will produce and perform sacrifices inside of the temple. But when it comes to actually doing the work that God called us to do outside of it, we don't really follow it because the reality is, is that we come to worship and put God to the side. And then we worship ourselves later on down the line. We want to worship God, but it's really true worship is how you live outside the temple. And the problem with Israel is, is Israel was good at worshiping in the temple. But then outside the temple, they would practice their idolatry. Outside the temple, they would practice the worship of other gods. Outside the temple, they would follow the culture and the, and, and the influence of that time. And so the consequence of that was that Israel lost it all. Pay very, very close attention here because I'm, I'm, I'm leading into something. Because, and, and, and then we're going to get to Joel here for a minute, just for a minute. So you get the whole point of this. Why am I reading this? Because by Ezra Nehemiah, God is now about to restore. God's about to put back to restore what was lost in Israel's sin. God's about to bring restoration to what was lost in Israel's depravity. God's about to restore to Israel all that Israel was lost. But God was not revealing it to the people inside. God was revealing it to the people outside. Family, there's some people 
who left the church, who left the local church. There's some people who left community. There's some people who've been hurt, abused, disenchanted, misled. There's some people who they had to actually walk away from the church because they found that what was happening in the church could not reflect the heart and the wisdom of God. So you did leave the church. Mm. And there's some of you who left whatever you called that institution or, or that cult, whatever it was that you left. There's some of you who left it. And there's some of you who are thinking inside and asking the question, did I leave God in it? See, just because you left an institution that called itself the church doesn't necessarily mean that you left the church. And just because you left the institution doesn't mean that you left God. Could it be that you had to step away for a minute so that you can hear the voice of God to know who God is drawing you to? that then you can grow in your wisdom and understanding knowledge to be empowered by the mission that God has for you. Is it possible that maybe you had to get kicked out of church to get to discover God? Maybe you had to get pulled out of the sauce to actually see what was really going on. And maybe you couldn't deconstruct whatever you were conditioned to believe until you actually pulled away. There's some folk who know exactly what I'm talking about. I want you to notice here, and I know I'm giving a broad perspective, but this is what's really been burning into me as I've been reading this. The people who got revelation were the ones who were in exile. It was the remnant that got the revelation. The people who were in the sauce were still lost in the sauce. The people who were in Israel weren't the ones getting the revelation. They were the ones still serving idols. The people who were still in Israel were the ones who were still following idolatry. And there are folks who are in churches today that actually aren't worshiping God. They're worshiping philosophies. There are folks who are in the church today that aren't actually worshiping God. What they're worshiping is, 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 is forms of idolatry. There are folks in the church today who are not worshiping God. What they're worshiping is they're worshiping a political ideal. There are those today who are not worshiping God. What they're worshiping is they're worshiping a cultural idol. There are those who are worshiping God, but really what they're worshiping is a flag. There are those who aren't actually worshiping God. What they're doing is they're worshiping a personality. There are those who are lost in the sauce in the church, who they think that they're worshiping God, but what they are actually doing is performing a form of idolatry and they're calling it God. That ain't the church, y'all. And some of you may have left that thinking that you left God. No, you left that idol. And maybe you had to leave that idol to finally actually get to hear from God. And maybe there's some stuff that needs to be deconstructed in you. Yes, you need to get back to a church. You need to get back to a community. But maybe you had to get pulled away for a moment so that you can hear clearly from God. These folks could not hear clearly from God because they were lost in the sauce. They were influenced by the culture. They were influenced by the ideal of that time. They were influenced by all of that. And because they were influenced by all of that, they couldn't even hear from God. <laughs> they couldn't even hear from God, y'all. And so it took a Hosea who was in exile. It took a Daniel who was in exile. It took an Ezekiel who was in exile, who actually was pulled away in captivity to hear from God. Sometimes it takes that. It takes the distance from whatever that institution is to actually hear clearly from God. Are y'all hearing me? Joel has also been removed and distant. Joel is written during Ezra, Nehemiah. Are y'all hearing me now? 
Joel is written from, so Joel is written during Ezra and Nehemiah. So we saw all the ones written during first Kings and second Kings during first Chronicles and second Chronicles. Joel was written around that time. And around that time is when God now is bringing restoration because Israel has been completely decimated. And remember what happened in Ezra and Nehemiah. They told Ezra, sorry, Nehemiah was given instruction. Ezra was called to build up the people through teaching, to remind them of the law that God had given. Nehemiah was going to establish the temple and to re sorry, not establish, not rebuild the temple. As, uh, Nehemiah was going to rebuild the city, rebuild the wall. And so Joel now begins to see this. And he's reminding them of where they've come from and where they're going. I'm done. I'm done. I got to go. But pay very close attention to this. Because what's happening in the book of Joel now is Joel is poetically writing. He's poetically writing about this theme over and over again that he writes, the day of the Lord. He talks about the day of the Lord, what the day of the Lord looked like. He used the imagery of the chewing locust and the swarming locust. Israel was very familiar with that because Israel had seen this in the 10 plagues when justice was being executed on the Egyptians to liberate the children of Israel. And now he points to the fact that these chewing locusts and these swarming locusts have not overtaken you. And he's pointing to all the mistakes that they've made and, and the sins that they committed and the consequence of those sins. The vine has dried up in verse 12, chapter one, verse 12. The fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also. There's no fruit. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. He's reminding them. Remember, this is poetry, okay? This is all imagery and poetry because what he's doing is he's speaking into the heart, the soul of the people to remind them that they experienced the same judgment that Egypt had experienced, except now it was because of their sin, not because of Egypt's sin. And then, and then he speaks of the mourning and the consequence of that. This is what happened to us. First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, all the stuff we read about. And he speaks about it in, in the form of imagery. Then he goes into chapter two and he gives more specificity to it that the Chaldeans did come in, did they not? The Babylonians did come in as an army, did they not? The Assyrians came in. They were being attacked in all directions. The Ethiopians from the south, the Babylonians, uh, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians from the north. And he even refers to the northern kingdom that came in and how they came in with a noise like chariots. They, they came in with so much strength and power that the earth would shake. And remember what Ezekiel said, that they were actually doing the work of the Lord enemy doing the Lord's work. <laughs> and then he says to them that even in the, as a consequence to all of this, he says, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Begin to see the heart of God here. Israel seeing all of this. Remember chapter two, verse six, before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained with color. He's talking about what has, has transpired in consequence to their idolatry. What Hosea called the adultery. And now we get to Joel and, and there's this call to repentance that's coming because of the great day of the Lord, this very terrible day of the Lord. And so he says, turn to me with all your heart, with all, uh, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. Can I just teach real quick? I'll just do one quick teaching point. So y'all, y'all can stay with me. Okay. Just because you feel bad about something doesn't mean you actually repented from it. Just because you're sorry it happened does not mean you repented. Repentance comes and may come with emotion. It may come with regret. It may come with the feeling of guilt. 
But just because you feel guilty does not mean you repent it. Just because you feel bad doesn't mean you repent it. Repentance literally means to change your mind. Some of us, we think we repented because we felt bad, because we've mourned. You actually don't feel bad about who you are. You feel bad about what who you are did to whoever it is that you hurt. Just because you feel bad about hurting someone doesn't mean you're going to change what you do. That's why people hurt people over and over again. And you keep feeling bad about hurting people over and over again because you think feeling bad about it is going to change anything. Fam, feeling bad ain't going to change a single thing. Just because you feel bad about hurting somebody, just because you feel bad about a mistake that you made does not mean that you repented. See, that's the problem. We sometimes take people's remorse and we confuse that person's remorse with repentance. Fam, just because someone's remorseful doesn't mean they're repentant. They just feel bad that they got caught. They feel bad that it hurts you. But true repentance comes with the changing of your mind. And maybe your remorse might lead you to repentance, but please don't think that just because you're remorseful, you'll repent. Because there are people who are remorseful and they'll do it again, hoping they don't get caught, hoping they don't hurt somebody else. True repentance is a change of mind. And you can't repent unless you rend your heart and not your garments. Look what it says. It says, look at verse 12. It says, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with mourning, with weeping. Notice, you're turning with weeping. You're turning with mourning. But your mourning and weeping does not mean that you're turning. You got to turn. Everybody is sorry. I have, there are very few people that I know. Very few people. There are very few people that I know that don't feel bad when something they've done hurts someone. Okay, that's called remorse. You can feel bad when you hurt somebody. Most people do. Most normal, healthy, functional people do. But feeling bad about hurting somebody is not going to stop you from doing it again. What's going to stop you from doing it again is a change of your mind. You can learn from what you've done in the past and then change your mind. But unless you change your mind, nothing's going to change about you. Some of you think that your remorse is enough. No, your remorse is just a start. But you actually have to change something about yourself. Change your mind in order to change your behavior. Or what you're going to do is just hurt somebody again. That's why serial cheaters continue to cheat. They'll keep cheating. As long as they don't get caught, they'll keep doing it. Even if they do get caught, they feel bad about getting caught, but then they go and do it again. Why? Because their mind has not been changed. And if your mind isn't changed, the way you live and the way you act won't change. You got to change your mind. And he's saying, turn to me with weeping, not weep before me. I don't need your tears. I need your mind to be changed. That's what God is saying. Don't just give me your tears. How many of us have done that? We've given God our tears. God is over that. Okay, God don't need our tears. (laughs) He says, change your mind. Turn where? To me. This is what repentance is. I'm just going to give you a quick little thing because I'm done. I don't have enough time. Jesus Christ. (sighs) I'll, I'll give you one more point after this and I'm done. Turn to me. Notice the word repent means to turn. Some would say change your mind. It literally means to turn. Turn towards what? Notice what it says. He says in Joel chapter 2, he says in verse 12, he says, turn to me. Here's the problem. Some of us, when we change our mind, we're turning to something else. We're actually not turning to God. We're actually changing our mind to another person's mind or another influential person's mind or another person's philosophy. But you need to actually turn your mind to God. There's no other mind that you ought to have but the mind of Christ, Philippians 2. We have the mind of Christ. So if you're going to turn, you can't turn to your own mind or to someone else's mind. You got to turn to the mind of Christ. 
That's where transformation comes from. And that's why a lot of us continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, hurt the same people over and over again. The reason why we do it is because we have not yet changed our mind. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's the mind. And that's why he says, I don't need your garments rent. See, back in the day when you were remorseful, you would literally rip your clothes. You tear your clothes to show your remorse. And Israel was good at that. Oh, Israel was always good at tearing their clothes. There was, they were always good at feeling bad after the fact. But he's like, no, no, I need you to, to rend your heart, not your garment. Rend your heart, not your garment. I don't need your tears. That's what God's literally saying. God don't need your tears. As a matter of fact, your tears are a waste of God's time, y'all. <laughs> it is a mini Bible study. I'm sorry. I'm, I, you know, I can't help it. God isn't interested in your tears. You want to know why? Let me say that again. God is not interested in your tears, family. You want to know why? He's not interested in your tears because he's already forgiven you of your sins. What he's interested in is not for you to rend your garments. He wants you to rend your heart. He actually wants you to change your mind. He's already forgiven you. But just because he's forgiven you doesn't mean he can be in a relationship with you. He needs you to change your mind, to turn your mind towards him, to turn your heart towards him, to be drawn towards him. Coming to God with your tears is a waste of time. God has already forgiven you of your sins. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He's gracious and he's merciful. He's done with that. What he wants is for you to change your mind. That's what repentance is. He wants you to change your mind, family. And that's what he's telling Israel. I don't need your words. I don't need your tears. I need your action. Show me. Because at the end of the day, God say, I'm gracious. I'll forgive you every time, but you're going to keep doing this over and over again. This is what Israel was about over and over again, doing the same thing over and over again. And here's the one thing that sin does. Sin delays God's blessing. I want to make sure y'all understand this and I'm done. I'm sorry. Oh God, I got, I got a couple minutes. Jesus, I always get myself in trouble because I want to hang with y'all forever. I always want to keep hanging with y'all. I don't know why I do this, but I keep doing this. What does sin do? Sin delays God's blessing. That's all it does. Sin delays God's promise. That's all it does. Sin is not what sometimes you would, you know, think it or believe it to be. Sin just keeps you distant from the favor of God. Sin is just a delay. So if you're still in sin, it's not that God hasn't forgiven you. You've just delayed the favor that God wants to put over your life. God has already forgiven you of your sin. The problem is, is that your sin prohibits the grace of God to work through. God has already given you the grace and forgiven you. But the grace that transforms you requires you to repent. That's the thing that we have issues with. We're too busy coming to God for forgiveness for our sins when our sins are already forgiven. Sin delays what God wants to do in your life. But even though sin delays what God wants to do, repentance accelerates it forward. Pay very close attention. Sin delays what God wants to do in your life. Sin delays the promises of God over you. Sin keeps you from fully experiencing the flourishing that God has for you. Ah, but repentance speeds up what God wants to do in your life. You see, here's the thing. Whatever sin delayed in your life, repentance will accelerate it. 
This is why God does not function with linear time. When God restores you, he doesn't just restore the things you have, but the scripture says right here that he restores the years. In Joel chapter two, he says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And for some of us, we have lived lives and we look back at some of the mistakes that we've made. We look back at some of the errors and we say, man, I've made some mistakes and it's cost me so many years. Some of you have made mistakes and said, man, this has cost me so much of my time. This may have cost you a decade. It may have cost you 15 years. It may have cost you five years, but you look back and you go, man, I wasted so much time doing the things that I shouldn't have been doing. And yet what God says is that when I give you grace to restore you, I don't just restore you. I restore whatever was lost in that time that you lost it. Because what the grace of God does through our repentance accelerates us to where God wants us to be. You are never late with God. It is never too late. When God restores you, he restores your years. God will take five years and make it five minutes. He will take 10 years and make it 10 minutes. God will take a whole decade and make it a whole day. Because what God does is he doesn't just restore your stuff. He doesn't just restore your heart but he restores your time. So whatever sin or your life or whatever you experience in life, whatever it did that eroded the many years that you look back, stop looking back at what you lost because the moment that God restores you, he brings you exactly to where you need to be. You are not too late and you will never be too late by the grace of God. Never too late. And he's saying to Israel, the day of the Lord is coming. And when it comes, he restores your years. Today, fam, just know this. Like Israel, we've had cycles of mistakes and errors, but if we can just repent, God can restore us and restore our years. Father, I thank you that you brought us here. I thank you that you've given us the privilege to read such a powerful, poetic, prophetic book, the book of Joel. And Father, um, I just pray that you would... Um, Lord, speak to some of us here today, Lord, who may feel guilty and ashamed and may look back and we're just, we're still expressing remorse about the past. And yet you're saying, just change the present. Lord, teach us to change the present. Lord, teach us to change the present. Lord, we can't change the past. But Lord, we know that we can change our moment. So Father, I pray for the grace right now. Lord, that will allow us, Lord, not only to repent of what we've done in the past, but to be confident not to look back, but to reach forward to what is ahead of us. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, family. God bless each and every one of you. I will see you guys tomorrow. We will continue. Okay. If you notice, we're running now. We're running. I want to also encourage those of you, if you're not on my Discord community, you are asleep. I got a whole Discord community right now. They are lit, guys. They are lit. I love them all. I love the conversation. I see you guys are praying for each other, encouraging each other. We have a community here. All right. So I want you guys to go ahead, go to Discord. It's discord.gg slash Opus Freer. Yes. We actually have a custom name now. Discord gave it to us. So we are growing so fast. Our community is growing so fast. I'm so excited about that. But it's discord.gg slash Opus Frere. Discord.gg slash Opus Frere. Please join our Discord community. You won't regret it. It's an amazing experience. And please consider becoming a patron. Um, we're praying about more people joining our Patreon so that we can so that we can do more. Really, that, that's the whole purpose of this, that it opens doors for us to do more. I know we can't do Bible study today, but we have Bible study every week on Patreon. We go a little bit deeper into the text. So I want to encourage you right now. We're, we're digging in Ephesians right now. Um, we got we got forums there. So through Patreon, we got forums there as well um, that we're, we're, we're going to um, launch. And so I'm really, really excited about that. Elizabeth, look at that. You sh look at that, guys. Look at her notes. Oh, my goodness. There it is. Oh, wow. I'm saving this. Okay. I'm going to post this on my, you know what? Is it okay, Elizabeth, if I post this on my IG? Let me know if it's okay if I post that on my IG. 
Um, but I got an amazing Discord community. So join our Discord community and also text me 954-231-1848. 954-231-1848. And um and also subscribe to our podcast. That's free. Okay. Subscribe to our podcast. Um, that's free. It's the Read and Rant podcast. If you've missed this and you've been just so you guys know, if you're here for the first time, we have read the entire Old Testament. And those episodes are available on the podcast. This one's going to be available right away on Patreon, but this particular live won't be available till maybe December because we have it all scheduled. If you want to listen to this right away, it's always available on Patreon, but it'll be available to you anyway later on down the line. So definitely subscribe and catch up. Okay. It's free. So just catch up. All right. Gotta go y'all discord.com.gg the two letters letter gg so sorry not discord.com discord.gg slash opus frere okay discord.gg slash opus frere the letters g thank you so much Sheree. all right um and it's a text so what discord is it's a text and voice chat we do group calls with our patrons there um we're gonna end up doing prayers so we're gonna do just a time of prayer there as well. This is what I've been looking forward to doing. So I'm so excited. Um, we are about to, yeah, we're, we're, we're crawling into the close to 500, which is going to open, um, other features in the discord platform. So guys join discord because as the features grow, we're going to be able to do more. So love y'all, uh, join our family. I love it. Okay. I got a couple of you joining right now. Love it. Love it. Love it. Curry, good to see you, Curry. Good to see you. Uh, thanks for joining. But I got to run, guys. I'm going to get my mouth abused at the dentist, so pray for me. Um, and, uh, and we'll stay connected, okay? Love y'all. Peace out, fam.